0: Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. There's so much we underestimate about the power that we have. This last chapter, Govinda, is testament to that. Govinda, as you remember, is or was Siddhartha's best friend from childhood, growing up with him in the palace of his father, of Siddhartha's father, and then leaving with him, living with the Samanas for three years, until Govinda then split off with Siddhartha, because Govinda wanted to follow Godama, the Buddha, at that point. And Siddhartha just knew that wasn't his to do. They met once more, years and years and years later, when Siddhartha was exhausted the sleep by the river, Govinda didn't recognize him at first, but he watched over him as he was asleep. In this chapter, Govinda, Govinda once more, again, not remembering his friend Siddhartha, but leaving the compound that Kamala left for the monks of Gotama, Gotama now passed away years ago, he would leave that compound in the city and go to the ferryman, because he remembered that the ferryman was someone special. He heard about the ferryman. And Vasudeva used to be the ferryman, but now Vasudeva walked into the forest, he disappeared, he released what was his to do for so many years, and now Siddhartha became the ferryman. The Buddhist teachings... The core of the truth of that philosophy, not even a religion, remember, is summarized in this chapter. And I want you to experience that power of the teaching, because it's very unique in comparison to all the other religions. So here we have once more Govinda and Siddhartha sitting by the river. Siddhartha inviting Govinda to stay with him in the hut, to sleep in the bed where Vasudeva used to sleep. And they have a conversation. One of the themes that Siddhartha brought up is about searching and not finding. Because at that point, Govinda had this intuition that He searched all his life and yet he has not found what he was looking for. Even though he now was considered a vulnerable one, a monk, a follower of Godama, uh, probably be among the wisest for miles and miles to come, and yet there was something in him despite the teachings, despite the teachings about nirvana, samsara, enlightenment, awakening, that told him it's not enough. And so in the conversation with Siddhartha, Siddhartha tells Govinda, perhaps you're searching far too much, that in all that searching, you don't find time to do some finding. He also says, the only thing someone who searches sees is what they search for. Let anything enter his mind, unable to find anything else, always thinks of nothing but the object of the search. Such a true and deep teaching, isn't it? Because I will bet that. Almost everyone in here and online today, if not almost everyone in this entire world is searching for something, aren't we? And here's Siddhartha telling us, stop searching and start finding. Because if we keep searching, what happens is we're only looking what we're searching for, and we're missing what we want to find in the first place. Not often that is taught in any religion, isn't it? Often in religion, we are taught we are supposed to search for something else than what we are. Instead of finding the one thing we already have in existence for us. Searching means, Siddhartha says, having a goal. But finding means being free, being open, having no goal. There are many things you don't see, which are directly in front of your eyes, pointing again to the teaching that we embrace in unity as well. It's actually a very Buddhist teaching that we embrace here, is that among all the surging, among all the things that we seek, Everything we actually need to find is already here. Just imagine for a moment, everything you need in your life right now is here. Whether you sit in the pews, whether you are sitting online, sitting at home in your pajamas rather than getting dressed and coming to church, right? I love that idea, by the way. Look to your right, look to your left. Everything you need to find truth and salvation is here. That's what Siddhartha is saying. This is not very unlike the Jesus' teachings that many of us growing up in Christianity find. It's a little bit more difficult to decipher There is this passage called, ask, search, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And it seems like we're supposed to be searching, right? It seems like when we read this, that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. You got to search. Search. But the question is, is that really what Jesus is saying? The passage goes on to say, is there anyone among you, if your child ask for bread, would you, would you give it a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, would you give it a snake? If you then, who are evil, and remember, evil is interpreted differently, at least within unity. Evil is not something that we are, It's just something that we choose to do with the goodness that's available to us, the goodness that we might experience through God or with God. It's not evil as the same energy or the same power that God has. It's just the way it sometimes comes across. And here Jesus says, when we are evil, meaning when we're making mistakes, that's really what it is. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I know it's hard to interpret sometimes scripture. But ultimately, what it's saying here is we already know what to do. We already know what we need, what we need to give each other. Right? We don't need to give each other judgment. Who needs another judgment in their lives? Anyone? I certainly don't, right? What we need is the gifts. And as we give those gifts, we understand that the Father, the Father, Mother, God, Spirit, Universe is having those gifts available to us. And what Siddhartha is diving into is that we don't need to look for those gifts because these gifts are already here. Stop looking and start finding. Look into each other's eyes and find the truth in them because it's a perfect reflection of your own truth. Talk to those who struggle with, talk to those who seem to criticize you and find the love in them as well. Find it, stop searching. Another thing that comes out in this last chapter is wisdom. Wisdom cannot be taught. It's impossible to teach wisdom. And that's a big one, isn't it? Because many of us will probably say, "Oh, hold on a second. Of course, wisdom can be taught. But Siddhartha is very clear on that. He said, no, you can't be taught wisdom. You can be taught knowledge. He's saying wisdom cannot be passed on. It's something that we earn and yearn and learn in our lives, and we can try to teach it to others. He's even talking about how Godama, the Buddha, at that time, he was trying to put his wisdom into words, but ultimately he was failing to give the wisdom, because wisdom can only be experienced and learned and to be built within ourselves by our own doing, by doing something about the knowledge that we gain. He says, knowledge can be conveyed, but not wisdom. And boy, isn't that true for us in the Western world, right? How much focus do we have on knowledge? Right? We're getting all these fancy degrees, including me, still working on the fanciest that I ever will get at some point. I'm gathering knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, but how much of that am I willing to practice so it can turn into wisdom? I sometimes wonder Am I satisfied with knowledge or am I yearning more for the wisdom? that I can attain with that knowledge. Remember Vasudeva. He was a simple man, and yet he was among the wisest in this story. He was simple in that he, did not be, he was not raised in the Brahman tradition. He, he did not learn all that fancy stuff that Siddhartha and Govinda learned, none of that. He was a simple man doing a simple thing all his life, and yet he outwisdomed or outwised everyone, including Siddhartha, who was about to become the Buddha. Knowledge, yes, important, but not to be mistaken as wisdom. Interestingly enough, the Jesus teachings are very similar, right? In hearers and doers, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. He's saying, when you hear my words, if you hear the wisdom, and in unity, if we we would even translate that, if we are willing to listen to ourselves, the spirit within us, that Christ nature, whatever you call it, if we listen to our intuition, We must build the house. In other words, the fifth principle, right? In unity, five principles, first four, very important, right? Knowledge, 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 knowledge. Not relevant if we don't do the fifth one, to act upon the first four. That's what it's saying here. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act, That's those of us who are satisfied with knowledge alone will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And I don't know about you, but I had this so many times in my life. You know, when I got like a certification or I learned something and then I was happy with having all that in my brain, right? And then when I tried to apply it for the first time, my house crumbled. Anyone else had a house crumble before, right? It crumbled because I yet had to build the knowledge and the wisdom that I need to de- build, use that knowledge and turn it into something valuable for myself and others. I need to first find the rock to build what I learned. Another theme is balance. Balance, not one-sided. Everything is one-sided, Siddhartha says, which can be thought with thoughts and said with words. It's all one-sided, all just one half, all lacks completeness, roundness, oneness. He's very critical, cheeky. In a way, Govinda even points out to him, kind of like a little arrogant almost. But Siddhartha is very clear on that. The way we approach life is one-sided. A person or an act is never entirely samsara or entirely nirvana. Remember, samsara is the endless cycle of birth and rebirth. And once we escape that, We enter into nirvana in Buddhist tradition or moksha in Hindu tradition. Same thing. We escape the illusion. And all the teachings, most teachings will teach you, we got to work, 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 right? Spiritually speaking. It's not enough. We've got we to pray. We've got to meditate. We've got to do all those things. We've got to be kind to each other, love each other. And we've got to do all that stuff in order to escape samsara and then finally get to in, into nirvana. And what does Siddhartha say? Nothing is entirely ever one thing. All we're doing by that way of thinking is we're being one-sided we're really not getting the whole picture. And that might be something new to you or something very strange to hear, because most of our spirituality is built upon the idea that we are not good enough the way we are. But Siddhartha, at this point, realized that that is false. It's evil in itself. It's sin in Christian talk. And then, perfection. Perfection already is. And he's saying this this way. The sinner is not on his way to become a Buddha. He is not in the process of developing, though our capacity for thinking does not know how else to picture these things. no. Within the sinner is now and today already the future Buddha. Imagine for a moment that wisdom 600 years before Common Era, before Jesus Christ was born. There is this man sitting by the river for years and years and years, learning to be a ferryman, learning from the wisdom of a simple man. And he's saying, We are not on our way to become the Buddha, because we, we already are the Buddha. We already are what we seek to be. That's why we need to stop looking for it and start finding it. And as hard as it may be for you to accept this right now, I encourage you to go home and look in the mirror and just look yourself into your eyes, not the face, not the body. There's lots of judgment around that already. We don't want that. But look yourself in your eyes, and remember that you're not you're not searching anymore. You're finding, and find in your eyes what Siddhartha is saying here. We may still be a sinner, and yet we can still find the Buddha or the Christ or spirit or salvation within us. Isn't that a wonderful teaching? I mean, I get emotional about this every time I read it. And this is also why I love unity so much, because unity is very clear on that. We already are what we seek to be. We already are the perfection that we try to find within ourselves. All we need to learn to do is to stop looking for it and start finding within ourselves. The world, my friend, Siddhartha continues, is not imperfect or on a slow path towards perfection. No, it is perfect in every moment. All sin already carries the divine forgiveness in itself. All sin already carries the divine forgiveness in itself. Imagine that for a moment. Think of something that you have not forgiven yourself for. Bring that up in your mind. And imagine for a moment that in that unforgiveness you have toward yourself or others, divine forgiveness is already in existence. The reason why it has not been forgiven is because, not because it cannot, but because we are yet to find, not search, but find that divine forgiveness that's already in there. Isn't that beautiful? In deep meditation, there is the possibility to put time out of existence, timelessness, to see all life which was, is, and will be as if it it was simultaneous. And there, everything is good, everything is perfect, everything is Brahman. Remember, Brahman is that diamond of the Om symbol that's beyond the illusion. Brahman is the Atman, the true self, is who we are finding to be. In meditation, even when we meditate in just a few minutes together, we put time aside and we have a chance to experience just that. And finally, love, the parable of the stone. Siddhartha talks about this, and I hope you caught it. And if you didn't, go back to that chapter, and I want you to read just that part, because I don't have everything here. He starts out this here, he picks up a stone by the river, says, This here is a stone, and will, after a certain time, perhaps turn into soil, and will turn from soil into plant, into a plant or animal or human being. It's not just merely a stone to be cast away. It has potential to turn into something else. And then he continues, But today I think this stone is a stone. It is also an animal. It is also God. This is also Buddha. I do not venerate and love it because it could turn into this or that but rather because it is already and always everything. Guess what? He may be talking about the stone, but what he's really talking about is how we're supposed to live with each other. We're not just the people we are right now, we're also everything that we so desired to be, we're also the Buddha. We're also the Christ. We're also all the possibilities that can ever be all at the same time. We're the thousand voices that Siddhartha hears in the river. We're the thousand images and faces that we might see in our own mind. We're all that, all in this moment. We're not just to be cast away, but we're to be loving and kind to each other. You know, one of the hardest things for me to cope with is, I learned this in ministry now, when people criticize me about my job and how I'm performing. That crushes me sometimes to a great degree it it kind of like destroys me one bit at a time because I don't get this yet you know because and then what I do is I lash out maybe not right in your face but certainly kind of like behind scenes right I lash out and then I may get sad or angry or anything, but I I change my perception. I do not see what Siddhartha is seeing. But what he's asking us to do is that those who criticize us, those who appear to be enemies, those who may not be of the same opinion, those who hurt us, those that severely seem to get in our way, What he's asking us to do is to see all the potential and understand that wherever we all are is exactly where we need to be and have compassion for that. That if someone criticizes us, it's not because they're evil or they're bad or anything. It's because they are where they are on their own journey to become the Buddha, not because they're not yet the Buddha or the Christ, but because they're still searching or trying to find it. I really wished I could have that in every moment. And believe me, I don't. (laughs) But it's such an inspiration for me to be that way and to see life that way, that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens in our life, that we learn to be loving and kind to each other, because the perfection is already realized in everyone. There is no thing which would be nirvana. There is just the word nirvana. I have no high opinion of thoughts. This is what makes them so dear and worthy of veneration for me. They are like me. He's talking about illusions. He's kind of like combating Govinda a little bit. What about illusions? What about our teachings? He said, these are just words. But what he just said about the stone and the potential. And how he remembers his own life, Siddhartha here. That how he learned from Kamala. How he learned from Kamaswami, a merchant. He learned from the burglars and the beggars and the cheaters. He learned and he no longer has judgment over them. Because he understands that just like him, we're all on a journey to learn and to find who we truly are. And finally he says, but I'm only interested in being able to love the word, the world, not to despise it, not to hate it and me, to be able to look upon it and me and all beings with love and admiration and great respect. That is the teaching of the Buddha. And that I believe is at the core of all the teachings of all spiritual paths and all religions that is the core to not despise it but to embrace it whatever it is and I think we all kind of naturally remember how it ties into Christian teachings doesn't it love your enemies but as I was rereading this chapter and then looking at this passage again it meant more to me and maybe it does mean a little bit more to you as well when Jesus says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven it's such a profound statement here but without the context of Siddhartha of the story that Siddhartha went through And the realization he had that the potential of the stone is the potential we all have. Without that, we are almost missing a point, don't we? We're almost missing the truth and the depth behind it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Don't look for it, find it. And finally, smile. And what I'm going to do, we're going to move into our meditation and I'm going to start us out with the last few pages into our meditation, because I want you to really get this. And maybe you will smile with me. So if you're comfortable, yes, let's lower the light. Joel will start the music in any moment. Close your eyes if that's comfortable, or just lower your gaze and start turning yourself inward. The two old men were silent for a long time. Then as Govinda was preparing to go, he said, I thank you, Siddhartha, for telling me something of your thoughts. Some of them are strange thoughts. I cannot grasp them all immediately, however, I thank you and I wish you many peaceful days. Inwardly, however, he thought, Siddhartha is a strange man and he expresses strange thoughts. His ideas seem crazy. How different to the illustrious one's doctrines sound. They're clear, straightforward, comprehensible. They contain nothing strange, wild, or laughable, but Siddhartha's hands and feet, his eyes, his brow, his breathing, his smile, his greeting, his gait, affect me differently from his thoughts. Never, since the time our illustrious godama passed into nirvana, have I ever met a man with them, the exception of Siddhartha, about whom I felt This is a holy man. His ideas may be strange, his words may sound foolish, but his glance and his hand, his skin and his hair all radiate the purity, peace, serenity, gentleness, and saintliness, which I have never seen in any man since the recent death of our illustrious teacher. While Govinda was was thinking these thoughts and there was conflict in his heart, he again bowed to Siddhartha, full of affection towards him. He bowed low before the quietly seated man. Siddhartha, he said, we're now old men. We may never see each other again in this life. I can see, my dear friend, that you have found peace. I realize that I have not found it. Tell me one more word, my esteemed friend. Tell me something that I can conceive, something I can understand. Give me something to help me on my way, Siddhartha. My path is often hard and dark. Siddhartha was silent and looked at him with his calm, peaceful smile. Govinda looked steadily in his face with anxiety, with longing. Suffering, continual seeking, continual failure were written in his look. Siddhartha saw it and smiled. Bend near to me, he whispered in Govinda's ear. Come, still nearer, quite close. Kiss me on the forehead, Govinda. Although surprised, Govinda was compelled by the great love, presentiment to obey him. He leaned close to him and touched his forehead with his lips. As he did this, something wonderful happened to him. While he was still dwelling on Siddhartha's strange words, while he strove in vain to dispel the conception of time, to imagine nirvana and samsara as one, while even a certain contempt for his friend's words conflicted with a tremendous love and esteem for him, this happened to him he no longer saw the face of his friend Siddhartha. Instead, he saw other faces, many faces, a long series, a continuous stream of faces, hundreds, thousands with all, which all came and disappeared and yet all seemed to be there at the same time, which all continually changed and renewed themselves and which were yet all Siddhartha. He saw the face of a fish, of a carp, With tremendous, painfully opened mouth, a dying fish with dimmed eyes. He saw the face of a newly born child, red and full of wrinkles, ready to cry. He saw the face of a murderer, saw him plunge a knife into the body of a man. At the same moment, he saw this criminal kneeling down, bound and his head cut off by an executioner. He saw the naked bodies of men and women in the postures and transport of passionate love. He saw corpses stretched out, still cold, empty. He saw the heads of animals, boars, crocodiles, elephants, oxen, birds. He saw Krishna and Agni. He saw all these forms and faces in a thousand relationships to each other, all helping each other, loving, hating, and destroying each other and become newly born, each one was mortal, a passion, a painful example of all that is transitory. Yet none of them died. They only changed, were always reborn, continually had a new face. Only time stood between one face and another. And all these forms and faces rested, flowed, reproduced, swam past and merged into each other, and over them all there was continually something thin unreal and yet existing stretched across like thin glass or ice like a transparent skin shell form or oh mask of water and this mask was siddhartha's smiling faith which face which govinda touched with his lips in that moment and Govinda saw that this mask-like smile, this smile of unity over the flowing forms, this smile of simultaneousness over the thousands of births and deaths, this smile of Siddhartha was exactly the same as the calm, delicate, impenetrable, perhaps gracious, perhaps mocking, wise, thousandfold smile of Gautama, the Buddha, as he perceived it with hundred times. It was in such manner, Govinda knew, that the perfect one smiled. No longer knowing whether time existed, whether this display had lasted a second or a hundred years, whether there was a Siddhartha or a Gautama, a self and others, Wounded deeply by a divine arrow which gave him pleasure deeply enchanted and exalted, Govinda stood yet a while bending over Siddhartha's peaceful faith, which he had just kissed, which had just been the stage of all present and future forms. His countenance was unchanged after the mirror of the thousandfold forms had disappeared from the surface. He smiled peacefully and gently, perhaps very graciously, perhaps very mockingly, exactly as the illustrious one that smiled. Govinda bowed low. Incontrollable tears trickled down his old face. He was overwhelmed by the feeling of great love and the most humble veneration. He bowed low, right down to the ground in front of the man sitting there motionless, whose smile reminded him of everything that he had ever loved in his life and everything that had ever been of value and holy in his life. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.